Well, good morning, church. Thank you for being here. In just a few minutes, the lights are going to come on just so that you can see your notes. And so uh, thank you for bearing with us as we continue to transition into our new space and uh, try to make it um, uh, a good environment for you to be able to take notes and learn what God has to say. So they're going to come on and you're going to be like, that's kind of bright. But um, but anyways, we want you to be able to see the notes, and there they are. All right, so now I can see your wonderful, beautiful faces. And uh, also, I want to say to our church joining us online, thank you for joining us as well. If you're joining us online, we're glad to have you here with us. And uh, we're going to continue in this series called Binge Reading the Bible. How did you do on your first week? Uh, do, do well? I mean, it's kind of a so-so, okay? Some, anybody complete it? Like you did it, you read through Deuteronomy, did good, woo! Proud of yourself. How I many you like skimmed it? Like this morning, you're like, I can't show up to church without reading it, so you skimmed it this morning. And um, any, anybody like do so-so? A little halfway? How many didn't start it at all? Anybody hands? How many have no clue what I'm talking about? Okay. All right. So, um, so we started this series last week called Binge Reading the Bible. And so we're going to do a series, seven weeks, of, of just kind of walking through kind of a high-level view of the Bible itself. And we know a lot of times people may not know, and maybe you don't know, kind of like, what is this whole thing about? You read it and you feel lost. And I know that that's what my life was like for many, many years, even still today sometimes. I can feel lost and like, gosh, what is this saying? And, and so anyways, we're going to walk through the whole Bible together kind of by different genres and books. And so last week we covered Genesis through Deuteronomy. We call it the Torah, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. These first five books, we went through them last week. And, um, and then today, we're going to continue in that series. You can always go back, of course, on our website and listen to it again if you missed last week. But today, we're going to go through 12 books of the Bible, and they're the historical books of Israel. We'll put them up on the screen for you. They're in your notes if you're following along. Uh, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel. Then you get First and Second Kings. Uh, goes into Ezra, Nehemiah, First and Second Chronicles. Uh, and then into Esther. So we have 12 books of the Bible that we're going to walk through today line by line. And uh, I'm excited about that. So we're going to be here a little while. And uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so we're like, man, if today's your first time, you're thinking, what did I just walk into? So I'm not going to make you do that. I'm going to uh, save myself <laughs> that grueling journey of having to do that. And I'm going to save you that uh, journey of having to sit here and go through line by line, 12 books of the Bible. Instead, I hope that somehow, somehow, one, that uh, there is an inspiration maybe that through my talk today, you're going, gosh, that kind of inspires me to go look into that a little more. I, I hope you do find yourself reading uh, through some of these books, or at least a few of these books. Uh, but also, I hope to somewhat summarize them in such a way that maybe whenever you go and read through these books, you go, I kind of have a certain set of lens that you could put on. So I'm going to try to provide a set of glasses, if you would, or a set of lens that can kind of give you a, a, a little bit of an overview, as kind of a summary. I mean, it's really hard to summarize 12 books of the Bible, but I'm going to do my best and in hopes that you feel a little bit more comfortable with it and understand what it is. So when you read it, it kind of even grows more even inside of you. And by the way, I'm proud of you, Dan, for reading and, and stuff like that. It's awesome. Celebrate what God's doing through you. And so just, just really cool. Thanks for sharing uh, that. All right. So we're going to start with, uh, we're going to be in the book of Judges to summarize this. I think uh, the second chapter of Judges gives us a 
kind of a summary of these 12 books of the Bible. And these are the historical uh, books of Israel. So if you read through those books that I just shared with you, Joshua all the way through uh, Esther, that is what's known as like the historical books of Israel or just books of history. You'll learn all about the history of Israel and all the things they went through and how they arrived to, to where they're going. And eventually we get into uh, Jesus and later on. But, but for now, just that's what those books are all about. All right, so we're going to look at this summary. Uh, we're going to read through the book of Judges. Judges, we don't really know who the author is, but a lot of people believe it's a guy named Samuel. And uh, Samuel's the one that kind of gets the credit, even though we really don't know if he's the one who wrote it. But it seems to be that he might be the one who wrote it. And he writes this around 1000 uh, BC. And so we're reading some really old historical literature here. And Here's what uh, it, it says that I want to read to you. We're going to be in uh, Judges chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. If you have your Bible, you can open up and turn to Judges chapter 2, verse 8. Um, or I'm sorry, we're going to start with verse 6. I'm sorry, verse 6, and then we'll read through uh, verse 11, okay? So here's uh, some context for you, um, and we'll read the first verse, and then I'll give you some context. It says, after Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. All right, let's pause. Verse 6, if you were to go read through the book of Joshua, that verse just kind of summarized it. Book of Joshua comes off of Deuteronomy. Moses dies off. A new guy comes into leadership. His name is Joshua. He takes the lead of Israel. Israel is going through these 40 years in this desert and this wanderings. And Joshua comes into this new land and he takes the land and he enters the land. He wins all kinds of battles, does all kind of great things for the Lord. And so now you have these Israelites who were in slavery. We read about that back in Genesis. They're promised God promises them this land to call their own, and ultimately it's going to become theirs, and they're going to prosper, and they're going to understand who God is, and this kind of cool things and great blessings are going to happen. They go into this new land. Joshua takes them in. Joshua now is about to die off, and we're going to see what happens next. So they're in the new promised land. That's where we are. They're journeying there. They're, they're coming and taking over. God is fulfilling his promises. Things are going well. Then it says in verse 7, the people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him. And who had seen, this is so important, all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. So the text tells us in Judges, hey, just want you to know. And this is what the author of Judges is doing. He's saying, hey, I want you to kind of go back for a second and just remember what happened. And because they didn't have it the way we have it all organized today, right? That didn't come till many, many, many years later. But, but in this context, he's writing and he's saying, hey, remember back, uh, Moses died off. Joshua took the lead. He takes the Israelites in. And by the way, just want you to know that while Joshua was living, people were serving the Lord. Things were going well. Things were prospering. People were blessed. Things were going really good. And even some of the elders who had seen what God had done during that time, as long as there was people in the generation who had seen the things that God had done, man, pe people were thriving. But then something happens when those people die. Here's what happens in verse 8. It says, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And after that, verse 10, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, it's a nice way of saying died, okay, another generation grew up. And this generation is different. It says, this generation neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And I think that is so incredibly 
important as to what we're about to see. So you have Joshua who sees God do amazing miracles. They win amazing battles. They rock around the walls. You may have heard the story where they go around the walls with trumpets and the walls come tumbling down, like all these great victories and all these great wins. And the only issue is, is that the people who grow up behind them, their sons and daughters and grandchildren, maybe even some great-grandchildren because Joshua's 110, don't know any of that. The story doesn't get passed down. And made the way that it should have. Maybe some knew, but it seems like most don't. And they didn't know about it. And the writer wants you and wants me to know, hey, this new generation forgot about all that. And they didn't, they didn't think about that stuff. And even though it happened, once the people who hadn't experienced it, that's important, who didn't see it, died off, the new people didn't experience something. And there's a disconnect and because of that, it says they didn't know the Lord or what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites, as a result of that, look at verse 11, did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they served Baals, these false gods. In other words, they go back to previous to Joshua and the Israelites, worshiping false gods again. And so here's what I'll say in your notes. I put the word, the cycle. I'll put a graph up for you, and you can do your best, and this is like, I know it's not a perfect circle, but I hope that it does some justice for you, gets you to the point. So if you want to draw that, you can make some, I left some room for you to maybe draw the graph out there. Here is the historical Israel cycle, and there's different charts that you can find. If you were to Google this, you might find different charts. This is just the way I wrote it out, and, uh, and so you, you might see different words, and you may even put in different words in place of my words. That's okay, but I hope that we find pretty common ground on this. So you see this cycle, and there's no, I'm not going to start with obedience. I will for the teaching side, but I'm not going to say that's where they started, okay? But I'll just say, in, in the cycle, you see uh, this history of Israel. In other words, if you read through, this is, this, follow me on this, if you read through Joshua and Judges and First and Second Samuel and Kings, you would see this cycle of obedience that turns into blessing. That when the Israelites obeyed God, man, they would be blessed because of it. All kinds of amazing things would occur because of it. Unity and victory and accomplishment and prosperity and blessing and harvest. And all kinds of stuff would occur out of obedience. But after they got blessed, they did what a lot of people tend to do and we tend to do. When they didn't need God anymore, they forgot. And they don't tell anybody, and they kind of forget about the blessings because one of the most hardest things to do is live for the Lord when you are blessed because who needs God when you're blessed and you got everything that you need? And so they would forget. And then once they forgot about who God was and they kind of rejected Him or kind of turned away from Him, it, turned to, it would turn to, actually there should be disobedience, should probably be up there, but disobedience, they would forget. Or you might say they'd disobey, they'd turn away. They would, they would turn away from God, they'd turn to other gods, and then they would suffer consequence. Now just pause. How many of you have ever suffered a consequence in life and then asked God to bail you out? Okay, look at all you. And yeah. So we've done, we understand this. Like, okay, I kind of get that cycle. So then there's this consequence. Oh, God, would you help me? Like, oh, please help, help, help. And then consequences. And then we're like, God, I promise. Now, now remember this line in high school, college? Remember this line? We'd say, God, if you get me out of this situation, I promise I'll never. Anybody at all? You know, I'll, if you just bail me out this one time, right? Just get me out of the ticket. Just get me out of the ticket. I won't speed. I promise, you know. And the next day, you're like, whoo, got out of the ticket last night. All right. Pass that one. Going back to 90, you know. So... 
this is the process. They repent, and they're like, God, I'm sorry. And then God does something because he's so loving, caring. He delivers them. He delivers them, and he's like, okay, you know, and he, he forgives them, and he puts them back in prosperity, he puts them back, and then they get obedience. Yeah, God is good. He's helping us. And then blessing comes, and then the blessing comes, and then they forget, and then they disobey, and then there's consequences, and it's this cycle over and over and over. It's the same cycle. It's like parents who have to tell their kids multiple times, like you say, how many times am I going to have to tell you? And you know what the answer to that question is? One more. Yeah, one more. One more time. And then that's it. That's one more time. They're going to get it. You know what the real answer to that is? You're always going to have to tell them over and over again, forever, you know. And it's just the cycle that we find ourselves in. And I titled today's sermon, Cycles. It's just this cycle, the historical nation of Israel, an entire nation of people. And these are real people. This isn't just a few people in a nation. This is millions of people who are in this cycle over and over and over again. And we see this cycle. And so I want to give you a few things that I believe are going to happen to you if you read through some of these uh, writings. And, and you'll see God's uh, forgiveness in this, and then he extends mercy, and he loves them, and consequences. You'll see this cycle over again. So I want to give you a couple of things. A couple, uh, I guess I would say maybe uh, some chances, I think. Maybe the word would be, uh, I think if you read through these, these books, you'll, there's a chance this will occur to you. That might be the right way of saying it. All right, here's the first one. You're going to ask yourself, you're going to wonder to yourself, if you read through these books or some of these books, uh, at some point when you read them, you're going to wonder, it's going to be tempting to say, why would they do that? Like, why would you do that. Have you ever seen a, a horror film where you know it's like, no, don't go in the closet. He's in the closet. No, you know, or don't make that phone call or whatever. You know, you're watching movies and you're like, no, no, don't go in there. All right, you're you're going to see some of these stories play out and you're going to think, ah, why would you do that? Like, uh, didn't you learn your lesson the last time? And, and if you see some of these stories take place, you're going to be tempted to think, why would, no, don't do that. Hello, it didn't work out for you last time. Why are you worshiping the cow? Why are you worshiping the gods? Why are you building statues? He told you don't do that. And you're going to be tempted to see this happen. And then you might even call them names like stupid and idiot and you're dumb. You get what's coming to you. And, and all these kinds of thoughts possibly will come through your mind when you read through these books. And then there's a the second thing. There's a chance that when you read through, and if you're daring enough to read through some of these books, here is the second thing that there's a chance you will say, hey, I've done that. <laughs> I've, I've done that. So on one side, you're going to go, why would you do that? And then, I, I actually have done that. And then you're going to be in this tension and this wrestle. Like, I kind of resonate with that. How many of you have uh, older siblings? You have older siblings. Anybody older siblings? So most of you, older, so a lot of you? Okay. Do, do you remember watching, or maybe you have cousins or somebody you watched growing up? Do you remember watching people, or maybe in classmates, you know, we had classmates, maybe not siblings, but you, you see kids get in trouble or teenagers get in trouble or, uh, you know, even adults get in trouble for doing certain things, and you watch them deliberately suffer consequence for their action. Have you ever seen anyone suffer consequences for their actions? Yeah. And how many of you did it stop from doing that thing? Yeah. 
Like none of you. So, so here's, here's the truth. So this is, I just, it, it is kind of comical and it's, it's, it's true. Like we watched older siblings get in trouble, right? We're like, oh, you know, I'm never going to do that. I'm, I'm just not. I mean, I think about my brain is on uh, speeding tickets right now. So I think about, you know, police officers pulling people over. I mean, guys, man, oh, you're, you're drone by, you see the cop pull somebody over, like, whew. And your second thought is, glad it wasn't me, you know? Anybody? Like this, you know? Or, or somebody's speeding really fast, and you think, hey, I'm just going to speed right behind you, you know, and you first, you know, and paving the way for us. Thank you, you know? Appreciate you, you know? I mean, just think about all the kinds of consequences you see people suffer through or for, get consequences, and then it doesn't really, it's like you would think it should motivate you, but it doesn't quite work out like that. And then on the flip side, you see people get rewarded for certain behaviors. And sometimes maybe like we'll do that. Like, okay, they're getting rewarded for that, so I'm going to try to do that thing because, you know, he got rewarded or she got rewarded for that. But oftentimes, even the reward themselves isn't enough motivation to get us to do the thing that we should be doing. You find yourself in a cycle, and if you read through these books, you're going to have, a, there's a chance you're going to go, I kind of resonate with that. And if you're honest with yourself, some of them are pretty heavy. Like, there's a lot of really hard stuff that you read through in this, in this scripture. And there's a chance, though, there's a chance that you're going to resonate with somebody. You're going to see this. And then I just wanted to spend some time in this piece of the sermon because I hope that this resonates with why the scripture is written in the first place. If you read through some of these cycles, you're going to find multiple people, but you'll resonate. And some battle a cycle of doubt. You will see the cycle of doubt through these 12 books. You're going to see people doubt over and over and over again. And then as you're reading it, you're going to be going, why would you doubt? Hello, did you see what he did then? But you're going to see real people. And you've got to remember the scriptures that you read, these are real people. These are not just fictional characters kind of like just out there. These are real people who just like you, just like me. And there's people who deal with a cycle of doubt. You're going to see a cycle of addictions. You're going to see cycles of pride. You're going to see leaders and kings and men and women and different people and scenarios who are just filled with pride, a cycle of pride. And they try to combat it. They try to repent from it. But then somehow that pride just creeps back in and they find themselves in the same situation again. You're going to see a cycle of murders. And you're going to go, man, why in the world would you do that? Hello? I mean, you know, we, we've seen one person go to jail for murder. Shouldn't that be enough? No, it's not enough, is it? I mean, yeah, does that, make, does that make sense? Like, no, it's not enough. If it was enough, there'd be one person in jail like a long time ago and then nobody else. So there's a cycle of this murder. There's a cycle of infidelity. There's a cycle of adultery. There's a cycle of mistreating people who are in poverty. You see a cycle of, I mean, people who are just mistreated because of skin colors and a cycle of people, women, outcasted to the outskirts of society and marginalized. And you see this cycle. You go, I kind of I resonate with that. Maybe you were on one side of that or maybe you're on the other side of it, but you resonate with it or you've seen it. You'll see a cycle of depression. You'll see a cycle. Even King David, if you read through Psalms, it doesn't take you long to go, I don't know if that's so happy. Um, you'll see a cycle of depression through these scriptures. People dealing with battling it. 
you'll see all kinds of sinful things. I was telling my wife, I said, you know, it's interesting people say, gosh, the world's getting bad. Anybody feel like the world's getting bad? Anybody? Like, gosh, the world's getting bad. Have you read the historical books of Israel? No, no, it's really, really bad. I mean, it's horrible. And then you're like, it kind of feels like today. The point is, what? It's a cycle. It's the same cycle over and over and over again. And so you're dismissed. I hope your hopes are high. That's it. <laughs> you're going to leave us there? You know? We're just doomed, you know? This is the world we live in. Gosh. So why are these books written? Well, that's what we're diving into. The reason these books are written are to reveal the truth about you, the truth about them, the truth about humanity, and ultimately to reveal who God is in the midst of those cycles, where God comes into play in the midst of all those cycles. So we find ourselves there in this place of cycling of envy, a cycle of jealousy, and I'm camping on this because I want you to see the cycle of these things. I mean, it's not like jealousy just came into play in 1984, you know, when you were wearing parachute pants or whatever, you know. I mean, it's a reason to be jealous. It's like, ah, he had parachute pants or Reebok pumps, right? Those, what, you know, but, but, but it wasn't jealousy. Like, it's just a cycle of jealousy or envy. You'll see envy all in there. I mean, it's like it's your favorite soap opera. I mean, you just kind of see it over again. It's like every movie that you watch today, just these cycles over and over and over and over again. And remember, you're going to say, why would you do that? And then you're going to say, I've done that. And so you're left sitting there wondering, what's next? When will this ever end? And maybe, just maybe, you'll wrestle with this. Will the cycle ever get broken? Will there ever be a moment that we could break this cycle or I can get out of the cycle of depression or can I get out of the cycle of jealousy or can, as a family, as a couple, as a whatever, can we get out of the cycle of fighting? Can we get out of the cycle of arguing? Can we get out of the cycle of unforgiveness? Can we get out of the cycle of injustice in the world? And that's the question I want to spend the rest of our time answering. The answer to that is yes, kind of a maybe too, but yes. All right, so write this key truth down. You are not alone in your cycle of sin and strife. And I hope that brings you hope today. You are not alone in your cycle of sin and strife. And I want to say to you, I think in part that is why God made sure that these books in the Bible were put in there so that you would know throughout many generations of people, very wealthy, wealthy, wealthy people, powerful people, people with massive amounts of authority still dealt with sin and strife. I mean, these people, by the way, were given direct words of God. Prophets would show up, give them, God said this, and it's in the Scripture. And God would speak and perform walking on water and, and all kinds of stuff and getting them out of horrible scenarios, and yet they still couldn't 
get out of the cycle. Kings, regardless of their wealth. Look at Solomon. You know why you, know, you go through some of this and you see King David who has it all. You know why God puts that in there? So that you and I would know, hopefully, by looking at our older siblings. Just, just imagine David, King David, your older sibling in the faith, right? He's a brother in, in the faith. That you look at older brother and you say, you know, money didn't remove sin and strife, did it? Actually, just made it much more difficult. Made it much more challenging. Gosh, you know, having authority and power. Oh, finally, we have all the money in the world. We have all the things we needed. Now we can be happy. No, not at all. And yet, what's crazy, this is true, this is true, this is why I'm probing on this, but it's true. We still can convince ourselves that there is truth in that. That the more we have, the more we accumulate, the bigger the house, the better the car, the more we have, the more money we have, finally, we'll have peace. No strife. Be content. Be joyful. Be happy. It's the story of humanity over and over again. Write this key truth down if you would. Each of these books, Joshua through Esther, point to the truth that no human is able to be without sin. Find this to be true as well. So goes the leader of a nation, or so goes the leader, so goes the nation. It's just amazing to see how people would follow a leader that was in charge and how the whole thing can get destroyed based on a leader. Lots of great content you learn about in history. But ultimately, it points to the truth that no human is able to be without sin. None. And that leads me to the question, how do you get out of the cycle of sin and strife? So I'm going to give you three answers, and two of them are going to be helpful but not fully capable. <laughs> okay? So I'm going to give you two that I think are, we see in Scripture, we see in, even in Deuteronomy, which we read last week, and we see it in these writings. So number one, how do you get out of the cycle of the sin and strife? So if you're battling sin and strife, if you're contention, family, all kinds of things, depression, envy, jealousy, if you battle any way at all in sin and in strife, this is for you to listen into, and these first two are helpful but not necessarily fully capable. All right, number one, remember what God has done. Time and time and time again, when you read through these books, you'll see God says, remember me. Remember what I have done. Remember what I have said. Remember, we read this even last week, right? Hey, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Write these things on the tablets of your heart. In other words, remember me. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your strength, all of your soul, right? Like all of your mind. Love God with every part that's within you. And remember me. And you see Joshua across the Jordan River. You'll find that when you read through the book of Joshua. When he says, put up these reminders in the river. And then when your children ask about them one day, tell them. You see it all throughout these 12 books of Scripture. You'll see how many times God will say, remember, 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 remember. And I could tell you, this is no question about it, there's moments of my life where when you're dealing with or battling a sin or strife and you just go back and you remember what God has done, it is helpful. But in of itself is not fully capable to take away the sin from your heart. But it is helpful for sure. 
And so if you battle a cycle, you battle a sin, you'll see different kings and people saying, we're going to remember who God is. We're going to build the temple. And we're going to put these things back in play. We're going to put God first. And they would be helpful for a generation, for a season of time. They would be helpful. And people would begin to get restored back. But it would only last a little while because it wasn't fully capable, but it was helpful. Second thing you'll find in these books that can help us break cycles and generational cycles, even just think about it from, from nation, from world. How do you break the cycle? Tell the next generation. Remember, he says, listen, one of the things that started to cripple this whole thing is that the new generation grew up and they didn't know God and they didn't know what God had done for the previous generation. And remember what God said, one of the greatest commands to do, right off of Deuteronomy 6, we talked about it last week, he said, teach these things to your children when they wake up and when they go to sleep. Teach what things? What God has done in your life and who God is and what he's accomplished. Why? So that they don't forget, so that they remember. And those two things work together, and they're absolutely fundamentally critical, I believe, in helping our world and you and your life break these cycles of sin and strife. And so we have to, we have to teach our children about these things, that they would grow up knowing the Lord. And ultimately, 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 it is the parent's responsibility, not the church's responsibility. Ultimately, it falls on you, not just on me. Right? It falls on us as Christians or as believers. If you say, I'm a Christian, well, then it's partially on your responsibility to do what? To teach those children the ways of God, who God is and what He's done in your life so that they would know about Him. And then they, in turn, will then carry out that truth to others and their generation when we're long gone. And if you don't do those things, you don't remember what God has done, and you forget who He is, and you don't tell the next generation... Chances are you're going to remain in the cycle. So it's helpful to tell the next generation, but you and I both know this truth. You could tell little Bobby or little Susie all about Jesus. At the end of the day, little Bobby, little Susie will choose ultimately their own way. You know that, and I know that, and that's a hard truth, and it's an uncomfortable truth, but it's a truth nonetheless because you're going to tell your children about God and what God has done, and you're just going to go, I hope you listen to what I taught you. And then at some point, they decide. So even when, even when, even when these great leaders would tell their children about the ways of God and the things that God had done, sometimes their own children would turn fully wicked and just turn around and go opposite of direction of where mom or dad would have went. And it wasn't mom or dad's fault, fully, necessarily, it's just the cycle they found themselves in. That's why I'm saying it's helpful but not fully capable in of itself to resolve the issue of breaking the cycle. Number three, and this is fully helpful and it's fully capable. And that is simply the only way to remove the cycle of sin and strife is to remove the sin and strife. You have to remove the sin. If you remove the sin, you remove the strife. That's why I just put sin. You've got to take out the sin from the cycle in humanity. And to this, I want to read to you an amazing scripture passage from Romans. A man named Paul explains the cycle of his life, and there's a chance you're going to resonate with this truth as well. Look what Paul writes in Romans chapter 7 
And we'll start with verse 14. I'm going to read all the way down through verse 25. But bear with me as I read through all of this scripture because I just thought, gosh, if there's a person who's ever caught up in a cycle, I mean, here it is right here. Thousand years later, hundreds of years later, this guy Paul is still dealing with a cycle who writes over half of the New Testament. We're going to find out about later when we talk about the, the, the letters in the Corinth church and Romans, and Paul writes so much of the New Testament, 13 books of the New Testament. And so we're going to talk about him later on in the series. But this guy who was chosen and elected to, to write in some of his writings, I mean, he dealt with the same cycle. And at the very end of this, he says, This is our only hope for the cycle to be broken. And here's what he says. So the trouble is not with the law, which we read through last week, Deuteronomy and all those things, for it is spiritual and good. He says, the trouble is with me. Like, I'm the problem for the cycle. You know, he doesn't say them. He says, it's me. There's something in me that causes this cycle in our world to continue. And not just the nation of Israel, but the cycle of injustice in our own world, the cycle of Pride in our own world, envy in our own world. Like this cycle just continues in my family. This cycle continues and I'm part of the problem. He says, it's something within me. For I am all too human and I'm a slave to sin. He says, I really don't understand myself. Come on, church. Can we say amen? Just be a loud church right now. Be like, wave a hanky and say amen, please. I don't understand myself. Anybody? Man. Really? Like I'm still, you know, he says, I don't understand myself, all right? Next time you're, you're tempted to tell your kids, I don't even understand you. Just, just, I don't even understand myself, you know. I'm trying to, just interesting. He says, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. So I don't even want to be in this cycle and even though I want out of this cycle of particular sin, particular issue, whatever it may be for you, you could fill in the blank for your own life, I find myself in the same cycle. And oh, how I want my family to be out of this cycle. Oh, how I want the cycle of divorce to end in my family. And I want the cycle of all kinds of things to end in the world. But I find myself even in the cycle myself. And he makes this statement, I end up doing what I hate. Then he goes, verse 16, he says, uh, but if I know that what I am doing is wrong, that shows that I agree that the law is good. So I know what I'm doing is wrong. I know what the law says, but I don't end up doing it. Verse is basically what he's saying. Verse 17, so I'm not the one doing wrong. It's the sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature, he calls it. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I do, I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Does it resonate with anybody? Like, gosh, you, ever, you don't want to argue, you don't want to fight, you don't want to speed, but you do. <laughs> you, know, I don't know. you don't want to break the law, but you do. You don't want to lie to that person, you know, about, you know, the age of your child so you can get a free ticket, but you do. <laughs> anybody at all, like... He's four, 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 four. Yeah, you know? He's got a mustache. He's four. He's just maturing. You know? you know, like the kids' meals that say, you know, under 10, 13 and under, we're all eating under kids. We're kids. You know, I mean, even little moments where you know it's wrong, but you do it anyways. 
You ever seen a piece of trash and you thought, I should pick that up? For all of other, everybody else, like, you're the people like, nope, not mine, you know. <laughs> and then that's a whole other level of issues. <laughs> but you see a piece of trash, you're thinking, oh, I should pick that up. No, it's not mine, you know, no. I, I don't know. You drop something, like, just think about it. That's his tension here in small things and in large things. So many times I, I find myself in the same cycle. And he continues on, he says, Verse 20, but if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's the sin living in me that does it. And I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. (laughs) Then he says, I love God's law with all my heart. Now pause. That's Deuteronomy right there, right? I mean, I love God with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength. I have said that verse. I have written it on my door frames. It is in my car. It's on my car. It's in my house. It's on my door. Like, I love God with all that's in me. He professes his love. Like, I do love God. But even still, the cycle continues. Then he says, but there is another power within me. That is at war within my mind. It says, that power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Then he asks a great question. Well, who will free me from this cycle? Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And then he gives the answer, thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. He says there's only one way to break that cycle, and that is to take the sin from the human heart. The only way to remove the cycle of whatever that cycle is, the cycle of pride, the cycle of, just think about it, leadership from a nation standpoint, the, the cycle of, uh, you know, injustice in a world. Like, who is it? And, and let me just, Hear me out on this, and I'm not going political, but I'm going to make this statement just to help you understand what's true, what's not true. The people in historical Israel kept looking to a man to solve their problem. I mean, they did. They thought, oh, if we get David in, we're going to never turn back. Not true. David himself commits adultery and murder. If we get Solomon in, if we get this judge in, if we get that guy in, if we get her in, it's going to solve. Never pans out. To which Paul says, I've learned something. No matter who's in charge and leadership, the cycle will continue. And the only way to prevent the cycle from ever continuing is to take the sin out of the human heart, which is what these books are all about. Every book that you read through in the Old Testament points to one man, and his name is Jesus. It just points to him. It necessitates him. It, it pushes to him, which is what Jesus ultimately does. Jesus comes in on the scene and says, I'm taking all the sin of the human heart upon my shoulder. I'm going to remove and stop the cycle of sin and strife. And so he comes and he dies on a cross and he gets resurrected from the grave. 
so that there will be a day where there will be no more sin and no more strife. And so we wait upon that day for Jesus to come once and for all and to rid the world of sin and strife. And that is why we study the Word. That's why we show up and gather once a week, typically, because we just aware of that truth as Christians. If you want to know what a Christian is, they're just aware of that truth. A Christian is, I'm so aware of my sin, I'm so aware that I've tried and nothing works. And the people in the Old Testament, when you read through these laws, they tried and attempted, but none of it worked. And I could set up all kinds of rules to follow and all kinds of things and put a good leader in charge, and still the cycle continues. What hope is there for me? And a Christian will say, Jesus. That's it. The Christian says, Jesus, like that's my hope. Yeah, but you've got to obey. Yeah, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I obey the Lord only out of first understanding who he is and what he's done for me. And as a result of his love for me, I do all that I can to love him back. But I realize I fall short even in that. And so the Christian says, I, it's Jesus. Jesus is the only way to break this cycle. I wrote down in your notes eight traits of God you'll find. I can't go through them all. I'm not going to unpack them all, but I wrote them down for you. So just eight traits real briefly that you'll find. And you know, I hope that you look for these as you read through these scripture verses, Joshua through Esther, to honor this reading plan. You're going to discover that God fulfills his promises. You can just, just pay attention to God's promises. Pay attention to God's patience. Wow, <laughs> he's so patient. I mean, if you were God, you're going to find yourselves going, kill them all, Lord, did all of them, end them, you know. And his patience is just, I mean, it's, it's crazy how patient he is. God's forgiveness, he forgives over and over and over and over again. His justice, just pay attention to his heart for the poor when you read it. Justice. Not like he's a just God, he's going to revenge back for evil. Not just that, but he's, he's justice and he seeks justice. And if you wonder, by the way, when you see injustice in the world, why that bothers you is because that's innate inside of you from your creator who also doesn't like injustice. And so he can't stand it when widows are pushed to the outside and people are poor and don't have a drink of water. He, he breaks them. He hates it. People write, uh, rise prices up on people and gouge people with interests. You'll see that. Where Israelites weren't allowed to charge their own brothers and sisters interest. How would you like that next time you call your visa credit? Hey, aren't we brothers, you know? Like, can't you take off the interest? You know? Just hates injustice. God's ways are not like your ways. Keep that in mind. When you read through the scripture, there is an absolute truth, by the way. You will be, this is so true. You're going to have to say these words. And I'll just say them, and I'll just say them for you and with you, okay? When you read through the Bible, and I'm telling you, you're going to have lots of questions when you're going to read through these books. If you read through some of them, you're going, what is that? What's that about? And here, here's my favorite answer. I love to tell people this. I don't know. Just so you know, I don't know. So if you're thinking you don't know, there's a chance I don't know either. 
And I just want you to settle that already. There are just some things when you read through, you're not going to understand. Why would God allow those children to die? Why would he execute that judgment on that nation? Why so many people? Why, why, why? And I'm just going to tell you now, there are just some things you won't know. Because his ways are not like your ways. He is on a whole other playing field. Settle that truth. There are just some things you won't understand. God's faithfulness, you'll see God's grace, and you'll see God's love. The most incredible thing that I find as I read through these stories and books and historical books of content in the Bible is how in spite of their cycles of sin, God's love never changed. And how God shows up in the midst of our cycle of sin, just like he did with Paul. He would show up in the midst of our cycle of sin, and he reaches down from heaven, and he reveals his love to humanity. Can I pray for you today? Father, thank you uh, for your grace and the cross. Thank you, Lord, for going to uh, take the sin of the world on your shoulders. And thank you for uh, coming back to life and fulfilling your promise that you would put your son on the cross to redeem us from our cycle of sin and strife in order to bring us back and to draw us back into the proper place and the right standing, holy relationship with you, Jesus. You are our hope. And so today, I just want to say this with you and maybe over you, if you are in a cycle right now in your life, a cycle of sin, a cycle of jealousy, a cycle of fighting and strife and a cycle of physical pain, whatever that cycle could be, if you find yourself in a cycle, would you just lift your hand? I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to bring you up in front of everybody. Just kind of raise your hand. Hands all over. Um, I just want to give you hope today to know this truth. I don't know when that cycle will, will fully end, maybe here on earth, but I can promise you this. There will be a day that cycle of addiction will be broken. There will be a day where that pain does cease. There will be a day where uh, the cycle of envy and jealousy and injustice in the world does stop. And that is the hope that Christians look forward to. The day where Jesus Christ returns and establishes himself on the throne. And he says, bringing it all back into what is good and holy and right. And so, Lord, we look forward to that day. But even God now can come in your heart and help you along in that cycle and strengthen you in weaknesses and help you overcome temptations. And that's what His Spirit does. He comes in and He helps us. And as we walk through life with others in the body of Christ, it strengthens us in that cycle to break through those cycles and to make wiser decisions and all of those things. And if today you want to just give your life to Jesus and say, God, would you just come and Take the sin out of me. And even if I were to find myself in this cycle, and even if I were to find myself battling sin, I will know that my soul belongs to you and that one day you'll make me right with you fully. And so you just give him your life and say, Jesus, would you come into my life? Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, I hope today you found encouragement. My hope today is that somehow you read through some of those old writings and not that you have to read all of those 12 books in the next week. So I just wrote down on your notes, just pick two. 
that's my true kind of challenge to you is just, just pick two of any of those books and just read through them this week and look for God's promises and look for God's faithfulness and look for how God's ways are different than your ways and kind of resonate with certain people in there. You might find that certain people you just identify with and see how they handled their scenarios and situations. And so my encouragement is you read through some of those historical books and uh, hopefully you, you do enjoy it. Hey, if this is your first time with us, we would love uh, for you to fill out a connection card, like we said, and just get to know you and you can turn that in at Brave Center. We have a gift we want to give you. And then some of us will be down front. We have a prayer team will be down front. And so if you need prayer today, you guys can come forward. And if you need prayer for something, you guys can come forward. And if you need prayer for something at all, um, you know, they're here. I'll be down front too. If you need prayer, if you have any questions at all about the church or anything uh, that you need, we want to be here standing with you, believing for healing or help. If you've got a cycle you're in and you just need help with that, we want to be here for you uh, as well. And so we love you. God bless you. Uh, take care. We'll see you next Sunday.